0: Um, I was so pumped. You know, this was maybe my favorite saga of all time. I made sure to get there opening night, had my ticket, had some great seats. Uh, After you see some kind of fun teaser trailers, then the screen goes black. The music kicks on, and then these words start to scroll onto the screen. It's so awesome. Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. And then I sat there for two hours and watched the worst Star Wars movie ever made. <laughs> so disappointing, it was so bad. There's just so many lame parts in this movie, you know, it was just, I mean, the part where where Poe and, uh, or no, Finn and Rose, they go, like, rescue these, you know, this, these space camel horse things. You know, it's just like, that didn't matter, and it was just super cheesy, didn't like that part, the way that Snoke died, that way, you know, right as you're starting to kind of like, like him as a character, um, he's dying, all, pretty much all of Ray's character development, you're just like, she's boring. And then Leia, Princess Leia, doing the Mary Poppins through space, it was just kind of like, what has happened? And the thing in it that was frustrating for me was just like, this doesn't feel like Star Wars. Right, that—that's that, the part that really ruins it. It's just like, man, this just doesn't feel like Star Wars. I don't even know what's going on. Do you ever feel that way about your Bible? Do you ever feel that way about the New Testament, where you're like, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't feel like the Old Testament. Man, the Old Testament, man, there's there's all these weird stories, and we like parts of it, Judges ooh, man, and then he stabbed a guy. You're like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, or maybe you're like, well, maybe the pastor's got problems. Uh, you know, yeah, I definitely do. Uh, but you're like, oh, that's, that's kind of fun. We like some of the stories, some of the Psalms are okay, but then it's just like, gosh. Man, you, you read a lot of the first five books, and you're like, golly, it just feels like there's a bunch of laws, there's a bunch of rules, and, and God seems to be all about it, and he gets mad when anybody steps out of line prophets, you get there and you're just like, I don't even know what's going on this thing it all feels super depressing. And we feel not even just this goofiness with, with, with just kind of the, hey, this, the Old Testament feels this way and the New Testament feels this way, but even the laws, even the commandments. Hey, wait a minute, the, the, the New Testament feels like it's, it's grace, right? That, we like that. Oh, Old Testament, man, it feels like, it's, is that just truth or is it laws? And man, what do I need to do? Do I need to do anything now? The Old Testament seems all about it. New Testament, not so much. Here's just a couple of memes that I thought were just kind of funny with this thing. You know, it's just like, hey, the New Testament counsels out the Old Testament laws. You hope you could push that one or, oh, but we should obey the Ten Commandments. You know, it's like, uh-oh, which one? This one, this one's my favorite. So it's Old Testament God, Old Hulk. <laughs> You know, and then it's like Professor Hulk from Endgame and it's you know, and it's like he's embarrassed, you know, it's like you know, like, oh man, Hulk smash, smash, smash you know, and it's like Professor Hulk's like, Oh man, that guy can't control himself. That was the old man. And you know may, you know, what about Jesus? Does it feel that way a little bit with Jesus? Like Jesus is like, Man, hey, the old testament ugh, it's kinda weird, right? Oh gosh. And then Jesus doing is he doing something else that it's all about well, Jesus is all grace. The Old Testament doesn't feel that way. And we get to this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, and we kind of feel it, right? Feel a little bit of this tension, and, and we read these things, and it just seems to be a little bit confusing. And so, what is Jesus trying to tell us? What is Jesus showing us in this? And so, if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, it's the first book of the New Testament. And this is what he says. And so he's, he's given the beatitudes that it's, hey, it's not, it, blessed be the poor in spirit, blessed be those who mourn. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm wanting to actually change your character, not just hey, don't do this, do this, but I want to change who you are. And he says, hey, as you live differently, as you are differently, you'll be the salt and light of the world. And then he gets to verse 17, and then he says this, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. And so in this, this first part, we're just going to see, hey, what is Christ's relationship with the Old Testament? So first off, when he says, don't think I come to abolish the law and the prophets, when, I think when we read that, we think we just think law, right? Oh, Jesus didn't come to abolish the laws, the rules, but the, the law, what he's referring to when he says law, it's not primarily the rules that he's referring to. He's referring, I mean, you know, if it's usually the uh, thought of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. And so he's, he's referring to that. And what are those five books? Are they primarily rules? No, it's primarily a story. If you want, there's a great video uh, put out by Bible Project just, on, just called The Law and just look at that. But it, You know, it's this story of what God is doing with with people, with his people. You know, it starts off in Genesis, and God has this relationship with Adam and Eve. They fall into sin, and then God, uh, you know, intervenes, and then he has this relationship with Abram, and then there's this covenant, and then his people are sent into slavery into Egypt, and they're suffering, and then God rescues them by his power, by what he's doing. God rescues them. Then, after he rescues them. It's a key part. After he redeems them, he says, all right, hey, this is what this relationship is going to look like between you and me and what it looks like to be my people. And he gives them these commands, not to get them to be free, but because he set them free. And then you give it a couple chapters and then the people, they obey them perfectly Right? No, they don't. They they fall right away, and they. I, I mean, I just don't know. You're like, man, you just got freed from Egypt. You saw fire down from heaven. I've never seen that. That'd be pretty cool. This pillar of fire by, uh, by night. You know, pillar of cloud by day. And then, hey, let, I, oh, Moses taking a little long time. Let's make a cow and let's just make it out of gold, and that seems like a good idea, and let's worship this golden cow. Um, you know, kind of a bad day, and so then God gives them more laws, like, or, hey, you guys kind of, I gave you laws. You keep breaking them. Let me kind of uh, give you more laws, and so he does give them all these laws, and a lot of them are about, hey, what does it look like to worship him? A lot of them deal with uh, sacrifices for sin, for rebellion against God, um, a lot of them deal with justice and, hey, how are you supposed to love one another? How are you supposed to treat one another? How are you also as my people, as Israel, to, to live that it sets you apart from the rest of the nations, that you look distinct as my people? And then because of all of these things, you know, the story continues to, to, to go on as the people continue to break the laws and new laws are happening uh, that God gives them. It starts to be like, hey, Moses even talks about it, the prophets talk about it, but hey, there's somebody to come. There's, there's a Messiah to come. This, this isn't it. We're not just going to keep going through these cycles of messing up law, messing up, hey, mess up, sacrifice, mess up, kill a lamb. You know, we're, this is going to move somewhere, and this is where it's going is to this Messiah. And so when Jesus says, hey, don't come that I, come to think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets, what he's saying is, don't think that I come to just whisk away the Old Testament. Don't think that I come to just say, hey, it doesn't matter, because I'm not going to abolish it. Because I, and, he, and he's saying this because a lot of other people are probably thinking that's what Jesus is doing. In the Old Testament, a prophet would say, thus says the Lord. But if you notice over and over again in the the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, truly I say to you, right? Not thus declares the Lord, thus declares me because I am the Lord. And so Jesus is speaking as one with authority because he has that authority. He is God in flesh. And so that, that throws him off a little bit. Also, God, you know, Jesus isn't just merely repeating everything from the Old Testament and they're noticing what Jesus is doing. Hey, Jesus, remember the Sabbath, and we have all these ways that we know of how to keep the Sabbath. And you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath and you shouldn't pick grain on the Sabbath and all these things. And th- those are actually man-made traditions, but Jesus isn't falling in line with them. And so they're like, wait a minute, is he coming to get rid of all of this? And then let's admit it, we kind of think that sometimes too, right? Oh, Old Testament, lame Now Jesus is here and he's kind of course correcting you know he's he's changing it up for us because old testament is weird but what does jesus think about all this again he says i didn't come to abolish it right because because it it's the word of god it's what was spoken to god and then look at verse 18 he says for i truly tell you until heaven and earth pass away not the smallest letter or the one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. And he's talking about, hey, just the, the smallest, like, little pin stroke. The smallest little, like, almost like for us to think of it as like, hey, even the, an apostrophe. None of it's going to be done away with. Even the, these things that he's referring to, the, what distinguishes them between one another is just like a little dab of ink. And he's like, man, I'm not going to do away with, with any of that. Jesus loves the Old Testament. And he's like, man, I'm not going to do away with that. And then he says, not until heaven and earth pass away. Well, have heaven and earth passed away? Nope. And then he he adds another until, right, until all things are accomplished. And so part of that, a big part of that, is just when, uh, of what is accomplished is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, But then also when Jesus comes back, and so even until all things are accomplished, it's kind of like this progressive accomplishment. But Jesus says like, hey, I don't want to get rid of it. I don't want to abolish it. But then what? What are you going to do with it? And then Jesus says this in verse 17, don't think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but fulfill This is key. I mean, actually for us understanding Matthew, because Matthew repeats this word a lot throughout his book, fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled this, and this was to speak of what, so that this might be fulfilled. Notice what what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I didn't come to abolish it, but I came to keep it. He doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I didn't come to abolish it, but I came so that you might keep it. He doesn't say that either. Jesus says, I came so that it would, I, I'm going to fulfill it. And so what does fulfill mean? It means kind of like bring about to fruition, accomplish, so, so that it, it, it's the goal that it's all been leading up to might be done. Fulfill means point forward. Think, think of it like a movie trailer. How many of you guys have seen the Spider-Man No Way Home movie trailer? It's, uh, okay, what, man, come on, church, y'all need some sanctifying, Fine, man, golly, Maybe a little bit more decent in your life, that trailer looks awesome. <laughs> so you, you watch a movie trailer, and it, part of what a movie trailer is to like get you excited for what's to come, right? So then all of these things in the Old Testament, man, is it really about just sacrificing the lamb? Gosh, I'm gonna have to do this again next year. Maybe tomorrow, man, and all these sacrifices over and over again. Man, is this all we're going to look forward to? No, there's something else. Get excited. Because Messiah's coming. Right? The Savior's coming. Right? And and so you see that throughout the Old Testament of how it kind of continues to build in that. Also, it lets you, it's pointing forward. The point of a trailer isn't exactly itself. Right? It's letting you know, hey, this is is what's to come. And then when you see the movie, it kind of fulfills that up, but also I'd say that the Old Testament is more than just a movie trailer, right? It's actually part of the story, right? Avengers Endgame, yep, and I refer to this a lot, you know, it's a good movie saga thing. Avengers Endgame is is great. It's a great movie, but Infinity War is part of the story. Ant-Man is part of the story. All of these different movies are part of the story, and they're all building up to this kind of culmination in Avengers Endgame. And so with that, you wouldn't be like, oh, now, now that we have Endgame, oh, it doesn't matter about any of those other movies. You're like, no. Us knowing those other movies helps you understand Avengers Endgame. That's the Old Testament. You want to understand Jesus. You want to understand the New Testament. Man, what has been pointing forward to him this entire time? What, 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 how does th- this is saying, hey, this is moving somewhere. This is moving somewhere. Man, and it reaches its culmination in Jesus Christ. Right? So we, Jesus is like, man, I'm not, I'm not doing away with that. Even in Romans 10, it, it, sa- it says the same thing. Paul's like, yeah, the law, the, the end of it, the culmination of it is Jesus Christ. That's what it, the, it's been working to, the law, the prophets, all of it pointed to it. And so to understand it, we need to understand what, pointed, what what was actually pointing to it. And so here's the thing. So Jesus says, hey, I didn't come to abolish it, I didn't come to do away with it, I came to fulfill So then how does Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? Uh, There there are several different ways, and I I mean, I'm just, honestly, just can't get into all of them, but I want to give you several of them. Uh, First one is predict. He fulfills the law because the, the law and the prophets predict Him coming. So Matthew's already shown this earlier in the book. Chapter 1, she will give birth, uh, verse 21, she will give birth to a son, talking about the virgin, talking about Mary, um, to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So you see that throughout Matthew, all these things. Hey, this took place to fulfill that. This took place to fulfill that. Because these things in the Old Testament are predicting what will happen into the future. And so Jesus does fulfills the law and the prophets by accomplishing those things. Another thing is this, is that it pointed to. So uh, an example of this would be Passover. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says this, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. So the, the Passover in the Old Testament is when the Hebrews were in Israel as slaves, and God says, hey, you know, so that, that my angel might pass over your household, kill the lamb, put the blood of it on the doorposts and lintels, and then when, when the angel sees the blood, it will pass over you. And so year after year, they're celebrating this. Year after year, they're making these sacrifices because of their sin. Now, if you're a Hebrew and you're, like, doing this year after year, you're, like, What's so significant about this lamb? I don't know. It was Reggie last week, and now it's dead. But now my sins, I guess, are kind of passed over. Hmm, that's, that's weird. Um, I mean, I think that'd be weird. Um, and so part of that, again, is like, hey, it's pointing towards not that ultimate sacrifice, but a big, bigger ultimate sacrifice to come. And it's helping the people associate, hey, sin is really closely tied to death. And sin and death, like, how do you cover that? It's something to do with blood, right? But then in Hebrews 10, verse 3, writer says this, but those sacrifices are annual reminders of sin. All of these sacrifices that you guys have been doing, they're this reminder of your sin, but it's impossible for the blood of bull and goats to take away sins. Right? Like He's telling them this, like, you get it? What's so significant about a sheep? What's so significant about a goat? Yeah, they're unblemished, but in the end, it's just a goat. It's impossible for them to take it away. It's pointing towards the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate Lamb of God, Christ. Our Passover has been sacrificed. Even other ways that the Old Testament points towards Christ. Isaac, Abraham's son. Hey, uh, Father Abraham... This is the son, the son of promise. I want you to sacrifice him. And then God stays his hand, and it says the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. And ultimately, it wasn't Abraham's son that, paid, that was sacrificed. It was God's son. God himself provided the sacrifice. So it's pointing forward to him. David, he was a great king, but he was a sinful king. So he's not the ultimate king. Who's the ultimate king? Christ. It's all pointing forward to him. Third thing is that Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. How do you fulfill a law today? Let's say you drive out there, and the speed limit is 40. How do you fulfill that law? Hopefully we are okay driving, thanks. Um, you fulfill it by driving the speed limit. Also, if you're turning right, you don't get both lanes, guys. You just get your lane, you know, you don't get, just get, I don't know what it is with Lincoln, just, oh, I can just turn wherever, no you can't, right? You fulfill that law by getting in your lane. Right, you fulfill the law by obeying it. And so, Hebrews, G- Jesus perfectly obeyed it. J- Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. Christ per- was perfect. Perfectly loved God. Perfectly loved others. Then another way that he fulfilled the law is this. Is Penalty. If you go out there and you're not obeying the speed limit and you get a ticket, you pay the ticket, right? And thus, you fulfilled the law, either by obeying it or by paying the price for disobeying it. You fulfilled the law. The law, then, because you paid the ticket, no longer has anything over you, right? Luke 24, this is Jesus on the road uh, to Emmaus talking to his disciples. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all That the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, that the law and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus fulfilled that by paying the penalty for our disobedience, for our sin. He fulfilled the law. It was pointing to him. He also fulfilled the law by making a people in the Old Testament Jesus, or, you know, God had Israel. Those were his people. And so a lot of these laws that you read in the Old Testament are telling, hey, this is what it looks like to be set apart to be my people, my nation. But Jesus fulfilled that. They're like, hey, it's no longer just God and Israel, one nation, one land. Now it's all nations, all people, everywhere. You know, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He reconciled Jews and Gentiles into one family of God. This is what Ephesians 2 says, 2.14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, talking about Gentiles and Jews, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose is to create in himself one humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body... To reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put uh, to death their hostility. So he, he does it through a people. He does it to actually through power to help us obey the law. He fulfills the, fulfills the law and the prophets. Romans, three, or Romans 8, 3 and 4. For what the law was powerless to do, right? The law, can't, the law can't make you obey it, it just tells you what's up, right? The speed limit doesn't tell you. It doesn't make you obey. It doesn't give you the power to obey the speed limit. Right? So the law is what it was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did. How did, how did this, how was this fulfilled? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Again, that talks about penalty. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to The spirit, Ezekiel 36, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Right? Even in the Old Testament. in Ezekiel, it's like, you can't do this. You can't follow this. I've given you my commands over and over again, and you keep, fall- you keep falling. you keep sinning. But what will I do? Man, hey, how is this going to be fulfilled? Not because you just obey, right? But I will put a new heart in you. I will put my spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, that hard heart, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be f- careful to keep my laws. You can't fulfill it, but I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. And this is, so so Jesus, we see in these things like, hey, he's not doing away with the Old Testament, with the Old Testament laws and the prophets or anything like that, but he's saying, hey, I am the culmination point of this. They've been pointing towards me. I'm fulfilling it. I'm bringing it to fruition. I'm accomplishing these things. And so he says, I fulfilled these things. And so that's Jesus' relationship to the Old Testament, to the law. Let's keep going. See where he takes us next. And he talks kind of about our relationship to the law. So verse 19. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom. Whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, the... I'll admit, man, I read, studied a lot, and even where it says these commands, what does it refer to? I've read a lot of different commentaries. Some people are like, oh, he's talking about the Old Testament, and that's what he's referring to, these commands, talking about the laws. Oh, no, Carson, D.A. Carson's like, oh, no, I think he's talking about the laws of the kingdom, the ones that he's about to, and you look at the end of uh, Matthew, it's like he's like re-emphasizing that, and people that are smarter than me by far make good arguments on both sides, And so in the end, I decided, I don't know. (laughs) But he is telling us to obey something, right? I mean, like, that's kind of like, hey, you need to obey this stuff. Whether it's the Old Testament or whether it's the New Testament, you need to obey. And you need to teach other people to do the same. And, And so part of actually what he's doing here is taking a shot at the Pharisees. Pharisees were the religious elite. And you kind of notice it throughout Matthew, different places where he kind of has these these tense moments and he's kind of correcting the the Pharisees. But they were trying to live out the law in a very strenuous way, especially on the Sabbath. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't walk this far. This is how you need to observe and follow Sabbath. Pow, 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 pow. And the Pharisees made all of these extra kind of commands and, and traditions about that to make sure they did it. But also... The Pharisees, because they're like, "Hey, we want to make sure that we follow the law." They also made some kind of less requirements to get by, and that's what you'll see next week. Is in these laws, he's correcting them. Hey, you've you've tried to really minimize the law. You've really tried to make it as easy as you can to make sure that you get it accomplished. And so, you know, as the people are listening to Jesus say this, whoever. Laxes on one of these laws and teaches the others to do the same will be the least in the kingdom. Whoever does them all and teaches others to do them all will be the greatest. You know, I wonder if some of the people were just like, I mean, let's just say Peter. I don't know Peter, but, you know, he's a fisherman. A lot of those disciples were fishermen. I don't know if they were like, yeah, we observe everything. We're super great at observing all these laws and telling everybody else to do the same. I imagine, I mean, especially Matthew, he's a tax collector. He's, he's living in what people think is rebellion against God and against his people. I don't think Matthew seems to be super concerned with making sure he gets all of these right. So I think they would be like, yeah, I'm probably in that first category. I'm probably in the least of the kingdom, but am I still in? Yay. The, whoever does them all, teaches others to do the same, man, that's like them. And I think they're like, oh, yeah, that's probably these other guys. And so how how are we to make sense of this? And you know, I think a question a lot of people ask when they read this passage is like, all right, so do we do the Old Testament law? Is that should we do it? How do we know what to do? So and so I'm just going to kind of walk through it and we'll kind of jump back here to verse 20, but Romans 3 20, 21 kind of basically says this, apart from the law, the law covenant that God made with with Moses and with the people, you know, to observe observe these, apart from the law covenant, that, that law covenant has come to an end. The righteousness that comes is through the cross, through Jesus Christ. That's the righteousness that we can actually get. We can't get righteousness from actually obeying the law good enough. It's through Christ. And the law covenant, the Mosaic covenant, pointed towards Christ. And I don't think that means like, oh, hey, the law is just gone. Here comes the gospel. But it also means that all the law isn't the same. And if you guys actually want to dig deeper into this, I'd highly recommend. Uh, it's on YouTube, and it's about an hour long, but it's just D.A. Carson, Jesus, fulfilling the law. It's super good. Um, but God made a covenant with Israel through Moses in the Old, old Testament, the Old Covenant. And then Hebrews says that Old Covenant that God made with his people, It's obsolete. Because Christ fulfilled it. Jeremiah says in the Old Testament that the covenant that God that God made with Moses is, is the old covenant, and there would be a new one. And Jeremiah is saying that in the, in the Old Testament, way before Christ, he's saying, hey, the covenant that he made, there's going to be a new one. And if you say that, you're implying that the one that you have now, the covenant that you have now, is old, and a new one's to come. Romans 7 says that the that the old, or Galatians says that the old covenant is just like a tutor, meant to guide us. In Romans 7, it says that the old covenant is, uh, he, Paul correlates it to a, a, ma- a woman that is married to her husband and says, hey, as long as you are the, you're married and the husband's alive, then you have to stay with that husband and be faithful and all that. Hey, but if he dies, you're free to remarry. And Paul's saying, hey, and that the old covenant's dead. It's It's done. He's correlating it to that. And so then, so do we just disregard the Old Testament? No, because it's pointing towards Christ. To understand him better, we, we look at that to which it's pointed. And so, so then, which laws do we obey? Do we obey all the, these Old Testament laws? And, and I know a lot of, uh, you know, around in the 11, 1100s, uh, I think it was Aquinas. He started to s- kind of separate, like, hey, there's there's moral law, which is law that deals with how you treat people. Um, you know, don't don't kill people. Then there's ceremonial law, that's the sacrificial system law, and then there's uh, civil law, and that's talking about hey, uh, how Israel um, kind of was to interact with one another. And so, Aquinas, you know, Aquinas and a lot of other people, Calvin, they said, hey. Um, the ceremonial law that's been fulfilled, Christ is the Passover lamb. He's the sacrifice, so you don't need to mess with that. Hey, the civil law that was just given to uh, Israel, and uh, you don't need to mess with that either. And so the moral law, the moral law is what, what hangs around. And I'll just tell you, man, in one way, I really like that categorizing because it's clean and easy. But also, the Bible doesn't make those categories. So then I feel a little hesitant to do that the same. And Christ fulfilled all of those. And sh- Scripture makes it clear that the old covenant is done, but then what should we obey? I think, why don't we just read our Bible and just the New Testament tells us what we should obey. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul, right? And love your neighbors yourself. And so when we get to like the end of Romans 14... Roman, Paul is saying, hey, you know what? Some per- people, they think that one day is more sacred than another, talking about the Sabbath. Hey, one person says, hmm, all days are the same. Have each person decide in their own mind what they should do. Follow their conscience, right? So Paul's saying like, hey, however you follow the Sabbath, do that, not a big deal, right? That, like that's, that, that, that doesn't carry over from the Old Covenant to the New, but you also can't imagine Paul saying, well, hey, one person considers adultery bad and one considers adultery okay. So just have everybody decide what to do. Right? We'd be like, that doesn't seem it. Why? Because so many other places, it's very clear, flee sexual morality, Do not commit adultery. So you're like, oh, that, that of course carries over, right? The New Testament made it very clear. When it comes to food laws, Jesus, you know, in Mark, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. It makes it very clear. So can we eat pork? Heck yeah. Praise God. Thank you. Right? You want a burger? With bacon. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. New covenant. Right? And, and here's here's the kind of thing. There's actually, though, more laws in the New Testament than there are, are the old. There's more commandments in the New Testament than the old. And I think it's good for us to wrestle with that question. Do, hey, do we have to follow all of the Old Testament law? I think that's good to just kind of say, hey, we want to please God. We want to follow God. And God, we're going to look to you, to your wisdom, to, to not rely on us. You know, we don't, we don't declare what's right. Our hearts don't just tell us what's okay. But at the same time, I wonder is if that question that we say like, okay, what do we just have to do? God, just tell us what we have to do so we can just make sure that we do it. Or, man, just tell us what we have to do so that we can make sure we do just kind of the bare minimum, right? So that we, hey, as long as I don't have to exactly get an A, but if I get a C, I pass. Doesn't that, like, sometimes I think that question of, like, just tell me what I need to obey actually reveals more about us than it does about the law. That we're just trying to make sure that we hit all the checks. Right? Am I doing all the right things, God? Just make sure I'm doing them right. Make sure that I'm fulfilling the law. And I think to that, Jesus comes to the next verse. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never get into the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Man, we don't like the Pharisees. They think they're very self-righteous people, but to the audience here, this would have been devastating. Wait wait, 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 what? You're telling me, super mega holy guy, I got to be somehow more righteous than that guy? How, how can I do that? I mean, that, guy, that guy's killing the game. He's like varsity. I'm like, freshman backup. If you're a freshman backup, we're proud of you. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> I don't know, just reading the notes. Right, that's that's kind of what they're feeling. Oh gosh, wait a minute, my my righteousness, my right standing with you, my right living, following God, has to surpass that of those guys. Man, I didn't think I even had a shot to get on their level. Now you're telling me I got to get more than that. And he's saying, yeah, you can never do it, right? She says you fulfill the law by loving God and loving others, and even as we look in next week in these church, uh, in these things, like, hey, don't you've you've heard it said, don't murder. I think most of us would be like, yeah, check. <laughs> Hopefully so. <laughs> Today, right? But then it's like, hey, but I tell you, if you have anger in your heart towards somebody, then you, you committed it. Huh. Hmm. Ouch. I don't know if I can follow that. Hey, you've heard it said don't commit adultery. Okay, doing okay. Yep, check. I've, but I hear Meredith tell you, man, if you even lust after somebody, you've committed adultery in your heart. Ooh. Hmm. I don't know if I can do that. I don't think I can do that. I haven't done that. Not 100%. And so Jesus is saying, hey, the point of the law, point of all of these things, I need you to see you can't do it. This is what's required of you, and you can't do it. You have to obey the law, you can't do it. And we 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 get this, like, man, I can't get a greater righteousness than that. I'm, my heart is wicked, so then what do I do? And Jesus is like, okay, here, let me show you how. I like what, what Timothy Keller points out here in the, uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus sums, sums up the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, there's two ways, there's two trees. There's a good tree and there's a bad tree. A broad way and a narrow way. Two foundations. Choose one. And if he's kind of summing up the Sermon on the Mount, you would think he would have alluded to it earlier in the Sermon, and he does. But earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't say, hey, there's one guy that prays and one person that doesn't. Hey, there's one person that gives and one person that doesn't. That's not what he says. He says, there's one person that gave joyfully, and there's one person that gave to be seen so that others would see them, so that God would see them. Hey, there's one person that prayed, and there's, there's, then there's one person that prayed so that they would be seen. And they think that, man, if I just pray the right way, then God will, will listen to my prayer, then God will answer me, because I'm, I'm checking all the right boxes. I'm doing all of the right things, and if I check all the boxes, and if I do all the right things, then guess what? People will see it, and God especially will see it, and I'm good. I fulfilled the law. I've done it. And Jesus is saying, hey, you want to know how you can fulfill the law? It's none of that. It's not just these outward, check the box, do the right thing kind of life. How can you do it? Man, you actually have to become a different person. You have to be a new creation. How do you change your heart? You don't, I do. Hey, how do you actually just have these different delights, different desires? It's not just by, hey, next week I'm going to try harder. Here we go. Check, check, check. No, hey, it's because you can't fulfill the law. And then he's told us in verse 17, I fulfilled the law. I've done it for you. And and do do you ever get kind of sucked into that kind of Pharisee way of life? Right, because Jesus is not saying, hey, because grace has arrived, just do whatever you want. Right, in Romans, he says, hey, we're no, long, we're no longer uh, uh, under the law, but under grace. Does that mean we just go on sinning? By no means. May it may never be. Absolutely not. Why? Because that's not how new creations are actually are. And so Pharisees, again, are like, hey, what is the absolute bare minimum that I can do so that I'm okay with God? Or how can I really try really, really hard to get with God? Do you ever get sucked into that kind of thinking? Man, God, you know what? I didn't cheat on my taxes. So I'm okay, right? We're good. But hey, maybe I straight on the internet somewhere that I couldn't do, but I don't know. Am I, still, am, I, am I still doing it the right way? Am I still okay with you? Or hey, God, I did my quiet time. Now let's pray, right? Because you're you're pleased with me because of what I've done. You're happy with me because I've done. Hey, I haven't really messed up this week. I've had a good week. So God, now let me come talk to you because you're more excited to, to see me. Are you living in this kind of Pharisee life? Or here's a way to see if you're that way. Like when something bad happens or God doesn't answer one of your prayers, are you just kind of mad at God? Because you think secretly God owes you. Now I get it, we could be mad at God and there's a lot of things that it is, um, we can grieve and be frustrated when God doesn't answer prayers. I'm not saying that we don't ever do that. But I'm just saying, are you thinking kind of like, but I've been a good person. I don't deserve this God. You owed me. I did the right things and you didn't fulfill your part. This is your fault. How did I deserve that? That probably shows you that you have Kind of like this Pharisee way of life. And Jesus is not saying, when he says, hey, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees, he's not saying, hey, you need to beat them at their own game. You just need to make sure that you're doing, you're doing it better than them. Again, let me just read Jeremiah 31. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the one I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Right? It's not going to be the old covenant. It's going to be a new one. My covenant that they broke, though I am their master. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the greatest of them to the least of them, this is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. I'm going to make a new covenant with them. I'm actually going to change them, even as we read in Ezekiel, from the inside out. I'm going to put my spirit, I'm going to write the, my law on their hearts. That's how they're going to follow me. That's how they're going to live out a new creation. Why? Because they are a new creation. Not because they're trying harder, but because they've become new in Christ. Because why? They didn't fulfill the law. They couldn't do it. Jesus fulfilled the law. That's how you're going to be made new. And then look at how he ends there in in, um, Jeremiah. He says, these will be my people. I'll give them a new heart. uh, I will write them all this new new inward transformation. Then he ends this. For, because I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. How do you get greater righteousness than the Pharisees? How do you get this right standing with God, a right way of, of living in the right heart? Because Christ says, I've done it. I will forgive. I will remember their sin no more. And how can I do that? Because I will pay the price that they couldn't pay. I will will perfectly obey the law where they can't. All of this has been pointing to me, the one who's fulfilled it for you because you never, ever could even come close to fulfilling it. And so for us, this new life is this grace-motivated life because of what Christ has done for us. And that transforms our heart. So Jesus just lays out, man, hey, this is what you need to do, but you can never do it. How can you because of what I've done for you? And, and so here's, here's just kind of the challenge I have for you guys. Do you believe Christ is who he said he is? Right, do you really believe Christ is who he said he is? Do you really believe that Christ actually fulfilled the law? And does your life that you're living actually reflect that you believe that Christ has fulfilled everything for you? He fulfilled it by obeying it. He fulfilled it by paying the penalty in your place for it. Do you really, does your life reflect that? If it does, then you're going to have this like grace-driven life, this new creation in you because he's placed his spirit, his heart in you. New joys, new delights, new desires that he's changing you. Yeah, it's, it's not all at once. It's not just you wake up tomorrow and pow, everything's great, but it's like, hey, this progressive God is changing me. You have this desire to follow God. And I'd say, man, if you don't, that might just be an indication that you really don't know what Christ has done for you. I mean, think of the guy who, who was forgiven. It was like 10,000 talents, like 60 years wages. He was forgiven that. Then he goes and finds somebody that owes him five bucks and he doesn't forgive him that and he throws him in jail. Why? Because he didn't really know what he had received. Is your life changing why? Because Christ has done it for you. Because of Christ, he is changing you because you're looking not at yourself and how can you just be better? How can you get through life? But man, Christ has paid it all for me out of his love, not because I'm awesome. Do you, do you live your life? If, if Jesus really is who he says he is, do you think that you go to God on your, on your merit because of what you've done, because of your good week, Do you ever question yourself in just thinking, man, I really don't know if I can go to God today because I know what I've done. I know what I'm struggling with and you just don't think that God is pleased with you or can accept you really fully because of what you've done. Or is it Christ absolutely knows all of these things better than I ever could. And I could go to him freely, not because I fulfilled the law, but because Christ fulfilled it for me in my place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, Lord, we thank you um, that you did fulfill the law, Lord, that, that, that all of it, all of it was pointing to you, all of it was... Um, talking about you and that, Lord, help us to look to you, Lord. If if all of this is pointing towards Christ, help us to be looking to you as well. And help us, Lord, to live differently, to be, that our righteousness might surpass that of the Pharisees, Lord, not because we have done it, but, Lord, but because we actually have not just an exterior transformation of just doing the right things, but an interior, inward heart transformation because of what you've done for us, Lord, so that we can have this thing of like, hey, my heart is changing. Not just these outward behaviors. And Lord, but that also our standing with you has totally been purchased, been given to us, Lord, because of what you have done for us in our place. And so Lord, help us to believe, help us to look, and help us to just really believe who you, that you who you say you are, you actually are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand together.